And we're going to pick up in verse nine, or verse 10. Uh, it should be on the screen for you as well. And this is the word of the Lord. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of any kind of, of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots of their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Amen. And so we come to this very interesting passage which uh, talks again in that time of the people there rebuilding the temple and they're putting it back together and the walls haven't yet been there and they've been sort of sitting still for 16 years and God has stirred them up now and they've gotten back to work. And so it seems odd that the final two prophecies of Haggai are making them look back. He's making them look back and go, I want you to learn something from this. Getting to the other side of a situation doesn't make you any wiser. The old saying, you'll be better for it if you just get through it, is an untrue statement. You will only be better for it if you learn something as you're going through it and stand on the other side of it and look back and go, what am I supposed to learn about all of this stuff? What was God teaching me about me in the middle of this situation? And what was God teaching me about himself in the middle of this situation? And most of us never ask such profound questions. We get stuck on three letters. W-H-Y. Why? Why was this happening? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't God do this? Why, did, why weren't things different? Instead of looking and going, Lord, in the middle of this, what am I supposed to learn? There is a why tied up in that, but it's really asking more profoundly, what part did I have to play in all of this? 
What am I supposed to learn in the middle of this? Is any of this my responsibility? Is any of this fall on my shoulders? How much of this response is from God? What's God's part in this? Is he trying to teach me something uh, in the middle of all of this? I used to hate it when my dad would ask me those questions. I'd come home and I'd say, Dad, I got a speeding ticket today. And his response was, well, what'd you learn from that? Highway patrolmen are really rude. (laughs) Did I learn my lesson? No. No. Maybe I should have learned, well, son, when you're 17 and you drive over the speed limit and you weave in and out of pylons down the middle of a highway and a state trooper is there, he is by duty going to stop you. And he will step out of his car and he will call you Ricky Reckless and he will yell at you and he will not show you any mercy at all and he will write you a fat ticket and the problem is you, not the rude old man who gave you the ticket with the cool looking Ranger Rick hat. But I never learned that lesson. Because guess what I did very shortly after the first ticket? I went out and drove like an idiot. Again. And again. Until my dad finally went, you're not learning this. Keys, please. Keys, please. Now, in hindsight, I wish my father had said keys, please, the first time. Because it was obvious by my response, I hadn't learned anything. Haggai is saying that to us today. Folks, I want you to pause for a moment. We're going to look at a little history. We're going to look and deconstruct what was going on way back when in 520 BC. But we have to be able to pull it forward into our life and see what is it I'm supposed to learn from him that applies to me today. If there's no application, if you don't walk away from here today going, okay, I see how to connect these things and I have not done my job. Preaching and teaching has to end with application to your life. The so what and the now what. So what? Why is this important? Now what do I need to do about it? Well, let's look first at this past. You see, there is a past that he's pointing them back to. And the past that he's pointing these folks back to is a past that has curses in it. And it has consequences in it. He says, now look back over these last years. Look back from the time that you came back 16 years ago and investigate it for me. He says, and if you can't remember it, I'll bring it to your memory. You went to a vat of wine and you expected there to be 50 gallons of wine there. And how many did you find? Well, 20. Huh. Did you ever think about that for a moment? You went to find certain amount of bushels of wheat and to your produce and you did everything. And yet when harvest came in, there wasn't as much. Have you ever thought about why not? You put money into your bags, and it says when you reached into your pouches, it was as if the pouch had holes in it, for it was gone. You would do certain things, and it would be blown away. There was drought, and there was famine, and there were all of these things. Did you ever for a moment pause and ask deeper and more profound questions about why these things could be? Or did you just go, Keep on going on. Because you see what was going on here was the people came back and it says that they set up an altar and they began to worship God. And then they got busy beginning to build the temple and things were good. God was blessing them. They were seeing some really great things happening in their midst. And then some people opposed them. Remember we talked about the enemies who were there and they said, we don't like you being here. You have no walls. They yelled at them. They rattled their swords. Uh, They even went back and got the king's decree to have them stop. And so the people stopped. 
Interesting, they stopped working on the temple, but they didn't stop being busy. You know what they remained being busy at? They remained being busy at being religious. They kept coming to the altar and giving their altar sacrifices, and they were really busy at building their own houses in their own neighborhoods and taking care of their own lives. But what they weren't busy at was making sure that the temple, the place of God in their lives, was central. They had moved away from it. They had basically become lukewarm in their Christian walk, to put it in our language today. They had sort of marginalized Christ in their life, but yet they still kept coming to church on Sunday morning. They were going to be here on Sunday. They were probably going to be in a small group on Wednesday night. And they may have their kids come to children's church, and they would just be really involved, and they were doing all of that. But then they would go out, and they'd live their lives, and they'd build their, their dynasties, and their mansions, and their houses, and their, all of their stuff. But God wasn't really a part of any of it. For at the heart of it, what was God's call to them? What was their exclusive purpose in returning to Jerusalem? Do you remember what it was? It was one thing only. Build the temple had they done that this is a simple one had they done that no and so after 16 years the temple remained in ruins they walked around it to get to their fields they walked around it to get back to their big mansions they walked around the rubble over here onto their beautiful streets into their beautiful gated neighborhoods into their beautiful paneled houses into their big industries and all of their stuff that they were doing and they kept wondering i wonder why things are as they are i can't figure it out We're working, but it just doesn't seem to be blessed by God. Do you have any idea how that could be? And you would think that the priests, those who were in the church, the pastors, would go, here's what it is. Well, the pastors weren't a part of it. Guess what the pastors were doing? They were building their big paneled houses. And they were living in their big paneled houses. And no one seemed to be asking the right questions. You see, God was trying to get their attention He was using desperate means to say, folks, now it was an agrarian culture. Uh, And so the best way to get someone's attention there was for the crops not to do well. And maybe they would look up and go, okay, Lord, you're the one who blesses the seed. You're the one who makes it grow. You're the one who brings rain. We can't do anything about that. So maybe there's something about our relationship with you that's a wreck here. And we need to get right with you to see if maybe you'll bless the rest of the stuff going on. So what could it possibly be? That's not right in our vertical relationship. Oh, that big pile of rubble over there that's supposed to be a temple? Well, you see, people yelled at us, and they scared us. Well, you wouldn't want us to go do work when people oppose us, would you? You wouldn't want us to do something for you uh, that would actually get people maybe not to like us as much. That would be hard, God. We're taking the easy road. Don't you want to bless the easy road? God was trying to get their attention. Take for a moment your own life. What's going on in your life? Is there anything in your life that even in the midst of all of your religious and church activity isn't right? 
Maybe you look around and you every night go, there's something here. I just, there's not a peace. When the Bible says there's supposed to be a peace, there's not a peace. The Bible says uh, my yoke is light, but Christ's yoke feels so heavy on me. God says that he'll bless me in this way or in that way, and I can't understand why. I can't seem to get this or I can't seem to do that. I wonder what it is. Oh, well. And then we use that incredibly deep theological phrase. Well, it is what it is. Really? Want to go farther with that? It is what it is. Well, yeah, it is what it is, but why is it what it is? We don't want to ask that question. Could it possibly be that you don't really want Christ in the center of your life? That you know that if he takes up center point, he'd really affect you? You don't want that in your life? Could it be anything like that? You see, God is coming in this part, and he's saying, listen, the past, you can learn a lot from the past, and sometimes as a good father, I will chasten you, I will discipline you, I will take away some of the blessing from you so that you'll turn back and get busy to what you're called to do. That's what God's doing here, and that's what this whole thing is saying. He comes and he talks in these obscure ways in the beginning of chapter 2 there, and he says this whole thing about holy meat and unholy meat and the priest. What he's basically saying is this. If my son is sick and I'm healthy, if I just hug and touch my son, will that make him healthy? No. But if I'm sick and my son is healthy and I go and I hug and touch my son, will I make him sick? Yeah. That's what he's trying to teach there with that whole thing of the holy meat and the garment. He's saying, folks, all your religious activities will not make you holy. Because they're tainted. You can go be busy. You can go and do all the things. You can memorize all the scriptures. You can know the catechism. You can come to church. You can be an officer in the church. You can be in CBS in the community. You can be giving all your money away to the poor. You can be doing all of this stuff. But if you don't have Christ, none of it matters. It's still unclean. Saying the heart is what it's all about. David, when he cried out to the Lord in Psalm 51, says, it's not all of these things that you want. You don't want sacrifice. You want a broken and contrite heart. It says that the Lord opposes the proud, but he is drawn to whom? The contrite, to the humble. That when we have our times of confession, does it affect you? Do you ever want to say to me, Bill, hold on. <laughs> I got a little more to go. <laughs> Instead of going, wow. He's being quiet up there a long time. What do all these people have to confess? I mean, you're looking around going, they must have some doozies. Instead of going, Lord, if I consider my heart before you, I just need you. What Haggai is trying to teach us today and ask you today is where is the temple in your life? Is it built and central? Or is it in decay that you care very little about it? Now, you can be busy with spiritual things, religious things, but he's saying, you know, take a moment and look at your life. Without going deep into this, here's how it worked a little bit with me. We had started a church in Memphis, and it wasn't going so well. There was just a lot going on. And I had a friend of mine who was a very godly pastor, and he came up to me and he said, how are things going? I said, they're rough. They're really rough. 
He goes, tell me about it. And I told him some of the things that were happening. He said, what's going on in your life, brother? Is there anything in your life as the pastor of this church that could be keeping God's blessing from the work of your hands? I wrote him off as a legalist. Quickly. How dare you ask that question? God's blessing on this church is in no way tied to my integrity and my personal piety and all of that stuff. And as I look back now, I wish I had listened humbly to my friend and gone, you know, my heart was so cold towards the Lord. I was incredibly busy in spiritual things, but so far from him on a personal level. Gosh, it wore me out. It wore me out. It wore my family out. It wore us out. Instead of stepping back with Haggai and going, Bill, why don't you take for a moment and consider your ways? I would have been able to go A plus B. Hmm, maybe it does equal C. So what then do you do when you begin to analyze it? A plus B equals C. What do you need to do to change all of that? Well, it's right here. He says very clearly in this, I did all of this for you. So in every works of your hand that you offer were unclean, consider your ways. And he moves down there in verse 17. I did all of this, but you did not return to me, declares the Lord. In that, what then was the purpose of God's chastisement? That the people would repent and return. It's that easy. Kids, let me give you an an insight on your parents' discipline to you. It is this. Your parents love you so much that they are trying to discipline you and raise you so that you will have a heart that says, I'm sorry. Repent and return. I'm looking around. There's not a whole lot of kids. Some mine are thinking I'm preaching at them up here. It's really to everybody else, too, uh, in this. And it's the same with God to us. He doesn't withhold blessing just because he's a mean old man up there. He doesn't chastise us in any way, shape, or form just because he takes some sick delight in chastising people and holding blessing from them. He does it, why? So that we would look up and go, ooh, the temple's in ruins. I'm going to get back to my calling in life and what should be first in my life, and I'm going to put first things first in my life, and I'm in humility going to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I am sorry for making you secondary to all of these other things, and I'm going to do the things that are right by you and live for you. And then, Lord, if it be your will, you can bless me. But his purpose in this is to turn us around and come back to him. Do you see it in this? He said, I'm doing all of this so that you'll return to me. And you know what was so crazy about these folks? I don't want to get lost in it. But the priest had the, 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 the notes in the Old Testament. There were all these places in Deuteronomy and Numbers and all that said, if you don't obey the Lord, he's going to. And he listed them out. And guess what was listed right here in Haggai? They should have gone, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know what we're supposed to do? Repent and turn to the Lord. And so it is with us. God's hope for us is to return to him. Why? Here's the last part of it. He picks up and he says in verse 19, from this day on, I will bless you. You see, this whole thing is broken down into three simple parts. The past, we're supposed to look back and see our past and inspect our past. 
our present, what are we supposed to do in the present? Well, we're supposed to repent and turn to the Lord and get busy for him, by the way. Good works. Faith without works is what? It says it's dead, James says. That our faith, our belief, is to lead then to good works. That people go, oh, do I have to tithe? No, you don't have to. But God does say something about the tithe is mine, and to not tithe is to steal from me. And if you want me to bless you, you'll be in obedience to me. Do I have to not lie? Well, no, you can lie all you want, but just don't expect all these wonderful blessings from the Lord. Do I not have to do this? Well, you don't have to do any of those things, folks. However, if you want God's hand of blessing upon you, the benediction, which is the Lord bless you and keep you and his make his face to shine upon you versus frown upon you, then our obedience has something to do with it in the middle of that. So he says, the past, inspect it, the present, repent and turn to him, get busy for the things that are important to him, and the future. Guess what happens in the future? He says this, I'm going to bless you. I am going to bless you. He says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to bring in the riches of all of the earth. I'm going to do great things in the middle of this people. Think about, for these people, what were they looking forward to? They probably were going, well, it'll be nice not to have enemies. It'll be nice. Zerubbabel, you know, the, their guy who was leading them. Interesting. I asked you this before. Do you know where you get to see Zerubbabel's name again? He's in the lineage of Christ. His name literally means Zeru, seed, Babel, seed of Babel. He was born in captivity. He was brought back to lead the people. And for 16 years, he lived in disobedience. But he turned to the Lord who stirred his heart. He put his hand back to the task. He repented and got to work. And guess what the Lord said? I'm going to bless you. Your name gets to be put in the genealogy of the one who is going to redeem the entire world. That's how much. I'm going to bless you. There is no sin that you've ever have done in the past. There is nothing that you've ever done that is so bad that God cannot fully redeem it and restore it and do immeasurably more than you ever asked or imagined in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? So many of you heard me today, and you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to look back, and you're going to go, you're going to become navel gazers. You're going to be looking down, oh, I just keep messing up, and I'm just terrible, and I'm all of this. You haven't gotten it then. Some of you are going to walk out and you're going to think that you're complimenting me by saying, boy, I feel great about coming to church today. You beat me up really good. I don't want to beat you up. I want to wake you up. And I want to wake myself up to look and to go, maybe some of the things that are going on in my own life have something profoundly to do with the fact that as it comes to my own passion for reading God's word, it's kind of cold right now. My passion for leading and praying with my family, it's kind of cold right now. Maybe there's some things I need to do in my own life to stir my own heart up and to say, Lord, I need to repent of those things and be blessed by you in that way. And then to look up and for him to say, Bill, there is absolutely nothing that you've ever done in the past. And he's saying this to you. There is nothing, no matter how terrible, how profound it is, that he is not able and willing to forgive and to restore you and use you for his kingdom sake. Do you believe that? Every one of you here today, every one of you here today, if God decides to stir in your heart and with humility you receive that, he can use you profoundly in his kingdom for his kingdom's work. And the future glory will be greater than the past. You are not identified by your failures, folks. 
But I will say this. At some level, you're identified by how you react to it. Will you turn to those failures and shortcomings and own your stuff and turn and repent and say, Lord, from this day on. I love it. He said, from this day on, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do things that you have no idea about. And in closing, it's this. You know what month it was? It was December. You know when they planted all the seeds? They planted them in November. And so every single day, the Lord was going to say to them, as they walked by their fields this year, they were going to look and see all the sprouts coming up, and they were going to be reminded that the Lord said, I will bless you. And as they grew into the spring, and the harvest came in in the spring, and the wine vats were filled, and all of the storage places were filled, and the festivals were happening, they could look back and they could go, why is it that all of this is happening? Oh, we finally turned. And got serious about God being first and foremost in our lives. My hope for this church is that we're serious about God being first and foremost in our lives. And where he's not, it's real simple. Repent, confess, believe, and get back at it. The storms of life may blow you off for a season. But then when the storm stops blowing, get back to work. Get back to it. Let's pray. Father, we need chastisement sometimes. We don't like it. It's painful and it stings. Sometimes we look and we say, that's not fair. How come that person is getting blessing and I'm not? How come that person who hates you is seemingly just going about life all fat and happy and I'm over here trying to live for you and it's rough? God, would the words of the psalmist be ringing in our ears, that as we come into the sanctuary, that we would see the reality of those who are without you, and that we would see our own reality, and that in humility and in repentance, we would turn to you. There are some here today, God, who are really wrestling with this. There are some here who feel so guilty for their past that it has so immobilized them from today and for the future, and I pray that you would speak profoundly and loudly to their hearts that in Christ they are forgiven. That in Christ they are more than conquerors. In Christ they can overcome the sin that so easily entangles them. That in Christ they are sons and daughters. In Christ they are new creations. They are blessed. That you no longer frown upon them but smile on them. God, would they hear your voice today? That you're an awesome God. And we praise you and we give you glory in Christ's name. Amen.